From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up Presents Danny Flecka in his weekly spot. Good morning, Danny. Good morning. Um, there is... It's an interesting thing that, that's happening right now um, in sports, um, which is shoulder shrugs. We just kind of don't know where some people stand, where some teams... Um, stand where some squads stand and uh, what I'm referring to obviously is the college football playoff rankings well plus the NFL but the college football playoff rankings first of all where Michigan State loses which you correctly predicted would be a tough game and everybody else slides up a slot and then Michigan goes ahead of Michigan State um where uh, uh, just a week after Michigan State beats Michigan, which got them to that three spot. Um, as you look at it right now, and as you look at these top 25 standings, um, where do you sit right now in terms of, A, will this play them, you know, uh, play itself out, or B, uh, is the committee creating problems for themselves by some things you've seen in these rankings? I think a little bit of both. I definitely think, think things will play themselves out. Again, you know, we have a potential showdown with Alabama and Georgia looming. Uh, Alabama still has some tricky games with Arkansas and Auburn left on the schedule. Ohio State still has to play Michigan State, Michigan, as well as a Big Ten championship game. Michigan still has to play Penn State and uh, Michigan, uh, Penn State and Ohio State. Michigan State has to play Ohio State. So I think all this stuff is going to play itself out. I think what the committee did, though, is flip-flop on potentially what their stance is uh, on how they're viewing maybe head-to-head battles or whatever it may be. I think that's the issue they created for themselves. Part of me also thinks they just did it so we can start talking about it. <laughs> so... I think at the end of the day, I don't get why people get so riled up about this kind of stuff, especially with the top ten having to to play a lot of the team, the top ten just to, to get to the playoff. I, I'm just going to sit back and watch what's going to happen because there's big games the next four weeks that are going to determine whether Michigan State's even worth having that conversation for. Did we just waste a week of our time talking about why Michigan's ahead of Michigan State? So I think... I'll wait for the Thanksgiving rankings to come out and then be like, okay, now we have some issues. Whereas right now, I think it's just like, all right, it is what it is. If Michigan State really wants to get back to the top four, they'll go to Ohio State this, they'll go to Ohio State and they'll beat Ohio State when they have to play them and so forth and so on. You know, it's, um, obviously, this is about TV ranking uh, uh, ratings. Obviously, this is about creating fodder and excitement and things to talk about and and all that jazz. Would you be in favor of less uh, of fewer rankings being put out? Would 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 you be in favor of more mystery, so to speak, um, when it comes to um, kind of? Where what the committee's thinking as the year goes on and just going by the AP poll, or are you happy that we have rankings? I like that you have the rankings. I think I would like to know what their criteria is. You know, I think 
at the end of the day with a group of people in a room that really represent the top, you know, four percent of college football. You know, we, we obviously see that Big Ten is valued very high, that the SEC is valued very high. So at the end of the day, what are they using to determine these rankings? Are they using strength of schedule? Are they using head to head? You know, what's the checklist that they use to go down? I think a more unified approach to developing the rankings would be beneficial, not only from our perspective, but also from their perspective, because I do think from week to week it changes. Again, you value the head to head of Oregon over Ohio State, so they're ranked ahead of them, but you don't value the head to head of Michigan State over Michigan. And there are a couple of other head-to-head, you know, battles throughout the rankings that you see play out. So I think understanding what that list is and what they use to check it off would be helpful. Doubt we ever see that. Uh, again, I think at the end of the day, this stuff will play itself out, especially this year, given where teams are ranked. But th- this is an imperfect system. Each year, there's always a debate. There's never a year where there isn't one. I'm sure that on you know December 1st we're going to get a bunch of tweets from athletes saying you know we'll play you know we could be X Y and Z team blah 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 whatever it is so you know at the end of the day you know we're really it, it's a system I think that's built to have you know Ohio State Oklahoma Georgia um, you know Alabama in that top four and Clemson obviously is having a down year but it's a system to reward those teams and I think you see that by the, the people that are in that room. Um, they're talking about the games. Um, as you look ahead to this weekend slate, as Danny Flecka joins us here on, on Teeing It Up, um, there's there's two games that I look at, which is Michigan-Penn State. That's a tough, you know, anytime you head into Happy Valley, it's just a, a, a tough place to have to play. And then um, Oklahoma-Baylor. I look at those two games at noon, and I say, if there's going to be an upset, I can see it coming from one of those two games. I understand that uh, Purdue's playing Ohio State, but you you know, try to go in the horseshoe and play Ohio State, I think it's a step up from Michigan State if you are the uh, uh, sorry Boilermakers. So as I look at those two noon games as the most likely upset games, so as you sit there, and look at these two games. What what goes through your mind um, for uh, uh, both the Michigan game and the Oklahoma game? Yeah, there's definitely a couple of other games too. I think I would throw in there that are going to shape what we see next Tuesday. Oklahoma needs to win convincingly, in my opinion. You know, it's clear the committee is ranking them where they are because of their early season struggles. Um, you know, they're a clearly different team with Caleb Williams. This will be their first game, I think, against a ranked opponent um, all season long. So this is a really, really important game for Oklahoma. Um, you know, it, it sets themselves up for a huge showdown with Oklahoma State uh, in a couple of weeks. They have to have to win this game, and I think they have to win it convincingly. And, and we know that the Baylor is a, is a tough place for them to go and play. They've had issues there recently. Um, but I do think they are the better team in that sense. Uh, Michigan, like you mentioned, Penn State's a tough place to go and play. We're, we're seeing that reflected in the line. You know, can Michigan go into Penn State, which has been a place of horrors for them the last couple of times they've been there? And again, I think they have to win convincingly. I think that, you know, Michigan State was docked because of their quote-unquote like post-game win expectancy against Michigan, which probably wasn't really very high. There's a lot of fluky things that happened in that game. Obviously, the referees came out and said they made a couple of mistakes there. 
So I think Michigan needs a, a pretty convincing win um, in order for them to, to move up um, or be considered in, the, in that top, you know, four conversation. And then I look at the 7 o'clock games, and there's two really important games, I think, in that window, and that's A&M at Ole Miss. Because A&M still has an outside shot at the SEC West. They could potentially be, you know, a, a team that's in the conversation as a two-loss team to make the playoff. And then Notre Dame, Virginia, because Notre Dame just keeps winning. If everybody else keeps losing, they're going to be brought up in the conversation. So I think those four games this week have the, the biggest impact on a college football playoff the next, you know, for Tuesday, at least when we see those rankings. Danny Flecka with us here on Teeing It Up. Um, we're going to shift to the NFL in a second, but I just want to uh, stop momentarily um, uh, and and talk about something else, which is you look at college basketball starting, and I feel like college basketball right now is in an interesting place, which is we're seeing, uh, and we saw with a bunch of these six-year guys, a move away from the one and done last year. And you're seeing in college football um, a couple six-year guys um, having success, a couple redshirt five-year guys having success. Where do you think we are in college sports right now with both the transfer portal and just in general with this extra year of eligibility? Nothing you can really do about it per se, but it's definitely giving, I think, some teams a bigger advantage than others, and I think it speaks to your pedigree and, 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 and recruiting and kind of the stature that you are given by those who have power in the sport. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing more player, more power for the players, you know, but in, in the same sense, too, I think players need to be a little bit more educated on what it is that they're getting themselves into. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing that affects college and, and what we're seeing in the transfer portal is coaching turnover. You know, if you get recruited to a school and the coach that recruited you is no longer there, what's your motivation to stay? And I think institutions need to do a better job, too, of identifying, you know, what their plan is so they don't see this type of turnover and they don't see this type of uh, situation occur all the time where you're turning over your roster every single year because the people that you're recruiting don't fit a particular system, culture, et cetera. And I think that just has a lot to do with, you know, what institutions are, are prioritizing. Are they prior, prioritizing, you know, building a culture with a new hire? Are they prioritizing winning games? You know, what is it that they're doing? At the end of the day, I think those things need to be a little bit more cohesive. And I think that's why you see the turnover. You see kids transferring out after, you know, two weeks if they were expected to do something and, and it's not happening for them. So I think if, if programs get on the same page about what their expectations are, you'll see less of this. I, I don't see that happening anytime soon, though. You, you know, players are now going to be looking out for their for the best situation for them. A lot to stake for them, especially if you're a high-level recruit with you know aspirations of playing the NBA or in the NFL. You need to be able to put stuff on tape and be able to be evaluated. So we'll, we'll see what happens. But I think a lot of this has to do with players being able to pull the plug easier, you know, on their situations. Colleges not having you know a set um, you know roadmap for how they want to be successful and, and coaching turnover. You know, money speaks at the end of the day. We're going to see a lot of, uh, of coaches turn over, especially this year. I think that, that programs are a little bit less likely to use like the COVID excuse. 
um, and, you know, for the deficiency. So we'll see what happens on that end. But I think a lot of those things are, are factoring into how we're seeing players use the transfer portal and coaches take advantage of that because, you know, some of those kids might have been kids that they were originally recruiting that didn't go to those schools. Now they can go back and be like, see, you know what, we have the opportunity for you. Um, let's take advantage of it right now while you still have the eligibility to do so. Danny Flecker with us here on uh, Teeing It Up. As we look now towards the National Football League, really interesting 425 game uh, coming up this Sunday between Seattle and Green Bay. You get the return of Russell Wilson. You get the question mark with the status of Aaron Rodgers. As you look at the Jordan Love performance, which was unimpressive last Sunday, how much of of nearly winning that game is is the ineptitude of the Chiefs, who, uh, by the way, desperately need a buy, um, and and they may have already had their buy to regroup, but now they go to Vegas on a Sunday night, which is a whole completely different discussion. Um, but how much do you pin on Jordan Love being thrown out there, first start, so on and so forth, and 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 how much is just these are the deficiencies that Jordan Love has and and he's going to have to eventually get into a system that fits his strengths more than his weaknesses. Yeah, I think that Green Bay should have maybe won that game. There are two missed kicks in that game for them. Um, You know, we're just so quick to react to one game and it's really hard when you're basing that off of, you know, who he's replacing. You know, Aaron Rodgers is otherworldly. He's the best quarterback in the league, in my opinion, for what he can do. And you're, you have a situation where Jordan Love's getting in there. And I think a lot of it, too, might be mental, uh, you know, on his part. Like, you know, this is just a spot start for me. You know, I have Aaron Rodgers looking over my shoulder. You know, I, I think a lot of that comes into play. I don't know if we can say Jordan Love is going to be good or not just based off of one game. You know, there, there's a lot of players that have had one bad game and then come back to have good good careers. But I think as long as Aaron Rodgers is there, we'll never see the best of Jordan Love just because of I think of that of that mental factor that, that Aaron Rodgers plays in this whole thing. But if you're looking for him to start again for you this weekend, you know it's going to come down to the wire for Aaron Rodgers. And if you're Matt LaFleur, you've got to make sure that you take advantage of what you have available to you. You know, you have good wide receivers, good running backs. Take that and, and devise up a game plan that will take advantage of what you have available to them. And they've been pretty good at doing that in general um, when they've been deficient. You know, we saw it against Arizona. So we'll see what happens if he's playing this weekend. I, I don't think he is. I think Aaron Rodgers will come back. But I think that... We need to understand that as long as Aaron Rodgers is there, he's not, he's not going to be as successful as I think that he might be able to be just because of what Aaron Rodgers presents. Um, Danny Flecker with us here on Teeing It Up. You had uh, talked about uh, with me off air that, that you think that this is going to be a tough uh, find for Odell Beckham to be able to find a new home. And you um, ESPN reported on Wednesday um, that he was considering the Chiefs, the Packers, and the Saints. Um, later yesterday, uh, the uh, Seattle and the Patriots were added to that list. 
the NFL Network is reporting that he may take a couple days to figure this out. Yet you, from the start, have said, I don't know if he finds a home. And and from my perch, I, I've always said that the, that, that the Patriots would be the best place for him because it would be a great system and a great structure for him to be able to make that next step in terms of his personal maturity and professional maturity. As you sit here right now, is Odell Beckham valuable to a team that may need a wide receiver and may need another threat? Yeah, I think out of all those teams, the best system for him professionally is Kansas City. You're playing with the, the best, one of the best quarterbacks in the league. You're playing with a very offensive-minded coach who knows how to scheme things up. They have proven commodities on offense that will take the pressure off of him. I don't think, I don't think New England's a good spot for him, to be honest. Mm. And I think the Bill Belichick narrative is a little bit overrated. Everyone talks about like Randy Moss, Corey Dillon, and all that stuff. That was when Tom Brady was there. That was when they were winning games and they had a very sound structure in place that was beneficial to these types of players. I don't think that structure is beneficial to an Odell Beckham. Um, you know, there's good if he goes to New England, the immediate the immediate thing is going to be like he's going to change around that offense. He doesn't fit that offense. See, that offense was never built for a guy like Odell, Odell Beckham. Randy Moss was a very much an outlier, and that was a situation again where you had a, a prime. Tom Brady, that was you know ready to win, and they were re- they were one piece away. Odo Beckham, I don't think, puts New England over the top. Um, they have a lot of other things that they need to worry about, and I think they're building something there with what they have right now. Kansas City, though, you look at it and you're and you could say they're one piece away, they're one wide receiver away from from really potentially hitting their ceiling again. I don't buy the Belichick narrative anymore with these types of situations just because I don't think Odell Beckham presents New England the best opportunity to win. Uh, I don't think that they get to the Super Bowl with him. I don't think Mac Jones is the right quarterback for him. I don't think that system is the right system for him. And, yeah, he might see it as a, as a good opportunity for himself. But if I were him, as those teams you mentioned, I probably would, would list uh, – Kansas City is number one, and Green Bay is number two, just because of who he who he would be playing with, and how he would fit in. Seattle, I don't see the fit. New Orleans, I don't see the fit. New England, I don't see the fit. So I think those are the two best fits. But at the end of the day, too, these teams have to look and say, do we want this guy? You know, what has he done the last couple of years that that warrants us to pay him this type of money for the next couple of weeks? Is he a good culture fit for what we have going on? He just strikes me as a guy that's just not really ever happy. Uh, and I don't know if you want to bring that into the locker room, but with a coach like Andy Reid, with a quarterback like Mahomes and the system they have in place there, I, I'd say from a fit perspective, Kansas City's probably his best bet. I don't know if he ends up there, but we'll see what happens. Um. Danny Flecko with us here on Teeing It Up. All right, now what's it, what's interesting is that two of the teams that are in the OBJ sweepstakes are two of what I think are the more intriguing games this weekend. We start with Cleveland, New England, five and four versus five and four. Very similar records here. When you break this game down, um, and I think this game's going to go under the radar for a lot of people. I, I honestly think some people may miss this game um, when they evaluate their week. The line is two and a half to the Patriots. The over/under is forty-five and a half. Um, 
this seems like a game that is going to come down to like a missed field goal or something or like a missed extra play. It just seems like it's destined to be an insanely close game. I don't see one side blowing out the other. No, I would agree. I think this game comes down to which team can can limit the explosive plays. New England seems a little bit battered, you know, in their offensive backfield, you know, the potential for Damian Harris to miss a game or Mondre Stevenson has a concussion. You know, who who will be the offensive force for New England? And on the Cleveland side, are you going to be able to ride your defense one more week? You know, no Chubb most likely. Uh, you have Dearness Johnson who filled in admirably a couple weeks ago, probably taking a lion's share of the snap in the back snaps in the backfield. You know, can Baker Mayfield do enough against the Bill Belichick defense that we know you know gives people problems? I think the game being in New England and Belichick understanding what's in front of him and, and the way the Pats have been playing defensively, I, I do give the advantage to New England, but I do agree with you. It's going to be a close game. I think people. Are, are ready to start buying back into the Pats, given what they've done the last couple of weeks. But this would be a big game for them. This would probably be the best team that they play and they beat all year. So if they're able to get past this game, I think it sets up nicely for them in the stretch run. But Cleveland, we saw last week, respond to you know a very emotional and, I think, distracting week. So we understand that they can handle it, but I, I think Cleveland might be... This might be a bad matchup for Cleveland, just given that I think Baker Mayfield might have to do a little bit more to win this game than he did last week. So that brings us to Saints-Titans, which is a fascinating game on multiple levels. But the big one for me is that the Titans actually won that game last week against the Rams. They did it with their defense, and we all wondered how the offense would be without Derrick Henry. And it's like, oh, wait, yeah, we're the defense. We exist, too. And we're actually pretty damn good. And they're now 7-2. and two, And they're playing the Saints at home, which means that you don't have to deal with the whole Superdome crowd and, and how loud and, and boisterous that building can get. Danny, I look at this game, and I'm saying, I think, you know, the Titans are three-point favorites, another line that's fairly low, 44-and-a-half. I can see this being another 30, uh, sorry, 27-24 type game, and people kind of turn around and go, oh, wow, this team's actually pretty good, and I think they may be okay without Derrick Henry. Maybe not come playoff time, but I think for right now they may be okay. And this game comes down to me, you know, can New, can New Orleans um, keep, the game, keep the game close? The type of game they were in last week doesn't really suit what they want to do. You know, coming from behind is is nice and everything, and it gives you some confidence, but you can't do that week in, week out with the type of offensive personnel that they have. They have to keep the games close. They have to be able to utilize their running game. You don't want Trevor Simeon dropping back, you know, 35 times a game to throw the ball. It just creates opportunities for mistakes. With that defense, you have to think that they have the opportunity to stay within these games and keep the games close, but they need to be a little bit more effective offensively, and that's going to be the name of the game for New Orleans moving forward. You know, is keeping the games close, utilizing your running game, getting Kamara out in space, and and hoping that your defense can maybe create one or two possessions of short fields. Tennessee's interesting. Last week's game was, I think... Uh, an opportunity for them to show that they can play without Derrick Henry, but they were incredibly inefficient on offense. 
They got a defensive touchdown, a very short field that resulted in another touchdown, and a very bad offensive game plan by Sean McVay that allowed them to win that game. I think it's the same thing for Tennessee. You got to be able to keep games close. You got to rely on your defense to hopefully give you one or two possessions of short fields, and you have to get explosive plays out of your passing game. Uh, I think that's what will allow Tennessee to stay in it. But it is, a, a, I think, probably the best game on on the schedule this weekend. I think Tennessee's just riding high. I think Vrabel's understood, you know, what he has offensively, what he has defensively. He's pulling the right strings right now. A.J. Brown and Julio Jones create some issues, I think, for New Orleans in the secondary. I do expect Tennessee to just keep riding this momentum that they have, especially with the game being at home. But New Orleans defense is good. If they can you know, get to Tannehill, force him to, into a couple mistakes, they could pull off the upset. But I think New Orleans has to keep the game close in order for, this, for them to have a, a chance at winning. And on that note, that concludes... This edition of Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schelling with Danny Fleck in his weekly spot. Danny, thank you, as always, for joining us. Same here, my man. Have a great rest of the day. You got it, and enjoy the rest of your day, everybody.